Psalm 129, and we're going to continue, as I said, looking at this uh, idea of following the Lord versus following ourself, following God versus following the world, that God says, this is the way, this is how it should be done. This is life with those who have chosen to follow me. As we we saw in Psalm 128 uh, last week, that everyone who fears the Lord is blessed. Those who walk in his way are blessed. They will see success from the fruits of their hands. It will bless not just themselves, but their family, their wife, their children, um, being described as a fruitful vine and like olive shoots, something that is healthy and has good roots and is producing fruits. That the choice to follow God impacts not just you, but your family and even our society, as uh, it ends in, in Psalm 128, that, um, that they would live to see God's blessing on Jerusalem and that they would see that extended to their children's children. It's a, a wonderful psalm. And then we come to now uh, Psalm 129. And again, picturing these pilgrims walking to Jerusalem, perhaps um, this psalm, they, they think, was written um, around the time when Israel was released from captivity. And um, again, others think it may be older, but they used it at that time. It certainly fits many of Israel's uh, moments in history where they have been released from oppression and uh, released from slavery. And that's the context we have here is that um, they are looking on to their affliction and yet they have not lost hope because they have chosen to follow God no matter how difficult the path is. If Psalm 128 gives us the blessing of following in the way of God, I think Psalm 129 gives us the reality of it too because we see it's not just all a bed of roses and uh uh, e- easy, an easy journey. It's difficult. But God has promised to be with those whom he loves. God has promised to walk with those who follow him. And those are the promises we have here this morning. Uh, really just two main points. Um, but uh, uh, we're looking at the two ways. Those who love God and simply those who hate God. We're going to look at those two uh choices and what they bring. And to consider this morning, what path are we on? Because I believe that even a child of God can get off that path of of loving God and follow the world's path, follow the path that expresses hatred for God and his people. And you might not ever say those words, God, I hate you, I'm turning away from you. You may never say that but our actions often speak louder than words. What do our actions tell us where our feet are walking? Are we on the path that leads to God? God says, this is the way. God says, yes, this path is going to be difficult. Yes, this path will have affliction, but this is the way. Yes, when we get to the end of our pilgrim journey, we will be tired, we will be weary, That is the nature of the world we live in. It is full of sin, of grief, 
of death. Pastor, you're in a sour mood this morning. <laughs> but God's, uh, this world is filled with, with light, too. It is filled with God's love and his compassion for us. So don't despair. Uh, if, if God weren't here, I wouldn't have much more to say than this world is filled with sin and death and sorrow. That would be the end of the story. So aren't you glad that's not? Let's look at those who, who love God. Those who love God, uh, and we'll look at verses one through four. First of all, we see that the affliction is real. For those who love God, the affliction is real. Uh, you know, we could look at last week. I like last week's better. It says the one who loves God, the one who follows God is blessed. Uh, but here, God says there's affliction. It's real, but we're going to find out more about that. But he says this in verse 1. Greatly have they affl- afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. And we're we're... I don't often do this, but we're going to come back to that second part in verse two. Um, so that gives us that little bit of hope, but let's, let's pretend we don't see that right now, okay? <laughs> Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. And the leader, the writer of the psalm is, is inviting all of Israel to say of their enemies that they have been afflicted since we were young. Israel as a nation can say that since their beginning days, their nation has suffered affliction and has suffered uh, persecution and more than once attempted genocide against Israel. And, you know, we might say, well, isn't some of that their fault? They sinned, they turned from God. And yes, um, and and sometimes some of their uh, affliction has come because of their own sin. Uh, We're in that same boat, (laughs) okay, Uh, But also, I think it's more than that because God has promises to keep with Israel still. And he's going to fulfill them in the millennial kingdom. And And I know, and Satan knows that if Israel weren't here anymore, if Israel were wiped out, then God can't keep his promises to Israel because they no longer exist. And I think that's partly why we see such intense persecution against them. Um, perhaps we could even say the same thing about um, uh, about the church, about anyone who follows God. Well, we'll look more at that, uh, of the world's reaction to those who follow God. Uh, but here in this context, he's speaking to Israel and he's getting Israel to acknowledge, yes, I have been afflicted from my youth. This affliction has been real. This is not imagined. This is not... Uh, you know, somebody trying to have a, a, a pity party or, a, um, you know, uh, trying to feel sorry for themselves. This is very real, genuine affliction. They had been in, in Egypt as slaves for 400 years. Another major event came uh, when Israel was taken captive by Babylon. Israel had split their kingdom from the north and the southern kingdoms had divided, and sometimes they were fighting against themselves. He says, great has been my affliction. It has been 
large. It has been heavy. It has been difficult. It has been real. And look at the imagery he uses in verse 3. He uses this, uh, some see it as almost a, a sleeve type imagery. Others see it as being used of the agriculture uh, community that Israel was, that they're using this language in a way that they would understand. Um, but it says in verse 3 that the plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. They have broken us up. And, and some people there see that slave imagery of the, um, you know, the slave who is beaten and whipped and tied up. That it's like long furrows that you would make in the garden on their back. This persecution, this affliction has been real. Uh, you know, as, as we, whether you own a farm, run on a farm, or have just a tiny little plot of garden, uh, you know what that means to break up the ground. That you're, you're digging it up, you're turning it over, you're, you're, you're breaking it apart. And this is how Israel feels about this affliction. It's like somebody has just plowed a garden row right up their back. We're, we're broken. We are defeated. And that pain, that affliction is real. This is where it's difficult because we talk about affliction, but aren't we talking about people who love God? If God loves us and we love God, why isn't he protecting us? Um, scripture has some answers for us. And um, a couple of references to, uh, to, to note down. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 10 through 12 is one. And then John 15 verses 18 through 25. Let me turn to 2 Timothy. And I'll, I'll mention those again here if you want to jot those down. But these are worth considering. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, say uh, that uh, you, however, have followed my teaching. And Paul is writing to Timothy, his, his young uh, convert in ministry. He says, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul tells Timothy, you have followed me in the good, and you have followed me in the bad. And he wants them to know that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. Expect it. And ungodly people are going to get worse. I think we're seeing that today, don't you? <laughs> ungodly people getting worse. But then he encourages Timothy and, and says, but you continue in what you have learned. And he tells him that, that classic passage about Scripture in verse 16 and 17, that you have everything you need. To face this, you have the word of God. So yes, we might face real affliction, but we have been given God's word. And yes, we can expect real affliction, but we have God's word. And lest you think that's just Paul's teaching, uh, well, it's scripture, but Jesus Christ himself says this 
in John 15, verses 18 through 25. And uh, I, I won't necessarily take the time to read that whole section there, uh, but John 15, uh, verses 18 through 25. And there he says, uh, in, in verse 20, he says, Remember the word that I said to you, a master is not greater or a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Uh, what Jesus is telling them there is that the world hates me, and so because you are my students, they're going to hate you. Because the student is not greater than their master. That they're not going to hate Jesus, but love the Christian at least not a Christian who is speaking truth, who is walking in the way that is, that is right. Those, uh, those statistics Jerry shared this morning during Sunday school were, were kind of eye-opening about all the, the doctrinal compromise that churches are making um, just so we can get more people in. Uh, you, know, that's, you know that's wrong, <laughs> that we are not to neglect preaching God's word just so we can fill the pews. Jesus says, expect difficulty, expect persecution, expect hatred. When you preach what is true, expect it. It's going to happen because that's the world's response to Jesus and to people who come in Jesus's name. Um, but John 15, verses 18 through 25 are, are worth meditating on. But there is hope, and I'm sure glad there is hope. Uh, there we go. The, uh, secondly, there, uh, or the second part of this, those who love God, the affliction will not succeed. Let's go back to Psalm 129, verse, uh, verses that, that's that little part of verse 2 we missed, and then verse 4. So he says, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet, uh, you know, what a powerful little word that is, yet, you can circle it, un underline it, highlight it, put a star by it, yet, they have not prevailed against me. The persecution is real, but they have not prevailed against me. They have plowed furrows along my back, they have broken me up, they have beat me in slavery, but he says, the Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. Those cords, either that they have bound us, you know, Israel in slavery, or uh, some think it's the cords, he's referring to the cords that would attach, uh, you know, the oxen to the plow. And this kind of a metaphor that uh, this, this weapon that they are using to, to dig those furrows up their backs, God has made them powerless. He's cut their cords because the Lord is righteous. He is greater than all. Um, this affliction will not succeed. The affliction is real, but it will not succeed. We are beaten, but not defeated. And why? It's not because we're awesome, right? It's not because we just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and with our um, grit and Termination, we, we press on through the persecution. Um, no, not really, not really. Uh, I was thinking of sending Ryan a picture to add here of, of me flexing for you. 
So you can see, you can see just what kind of muscles I'm working with here. Um, what are you laughing at? <laughs> it's, it's not because we're great. It's because of God's strength. You know, here we, we don't see it. It's because, you know, we, we're really strong and we were really determined and we pressed through. And I'm not saying those kinds of attitudes are wrong, but we don't dare take credit for this, especially in the face of persecution. We are able to stand. We are able to thrive under persecution because God is righteous and he has made the enemy's power ineffective and he has made us strong in our weakness as we've seen many a time in, uh, in Paul's writings uh, in 1 Corinthians. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. The Lord has saved us. He has cut us free. He has made the wicked powerless. 1 John 3.13 is another great passage. And that whole section, all of 1 John is good to study. <laughs> Uh, but First John 3.13 says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And then he goes on to talk about how they hated Jesus and they're going to hate us and don't be surprised. But his point there is, therefore, we should not hate one another. But then eventually into First John chapter 5, he says that the one who overcomes the world is the one who has faith in Christ that greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. Yes, the world is going to hate you. And yes, they're going to seem powerful. And yes, they're going to sneak into churches and devour, uh, try, try to devour the sheep and to split churches apart and fill it with false teachers that stray from the word of God. Yes, this is going to happen. Be prepared for it. But do not despair. Because the Lord is righteous and he has made them ineffective. So we can trust him because he is greater than all. This is the path of those who love God that we may face and we will face affliction and persecution, but our God will be greater. Our God will be more powerful. No one can overcome us because no one can overcome God. And that's his word of truth speaking. That's what he promises us. But secondly, I should say two, not three. But secondly, that's it, Ryan, you're fired. <laughs> secondly, uh, those who hate God, those who are against God, those who stand in opposition to God and his plan, says this in verse 5. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. That this is the writer's prayer, that he is what we call an imprecatory psalm, that he's, he's calling down almost God's judgment on his enemies. And this is not done out of pettiness or out of, well, you know, I'm going to pray and God's going to get you. You better watch out, you know. He's praying for the sake of God's people that, Lord, will you please right this wrong? Will you please intercede on our behalf? And so his prayer is that may all who hate Zion, again, that, that precious word for Jerusalem, that, that reminder of where that's is where God's presence dwells in the temple. It's where we go to worship and 
all that imagery is in their mind. For those who hate that place where God is, where God dwells with his people, may they be put to shame and turned backwards. Have you ever opened the oven when it was really hot and the, and the heat just blasts you right in the face and, and you stumble back or you turn your head quickly? Uh, you know, I, I've done that. Maybe you're too close to the door. Maybe the oven's too hot. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about, that, that blast of heat and you just kind of step back. Or maybe it's a, a furnace or a, a, a fireplace, something like that, where the heat just blasts out and pushes you back. This is kind of that imagery here, is that they would be turned away, that they would be blown back, pushed away, and they would return in shame. I think most of us follow sports of some kind where you you know that experience of having to see your team come home in shame. (laughs) Maybe they they missed that field goal in the big game or that last-minute basket bounced off the rim and they lost the game. And all the boasting and carrying on that went on before the game, they now are a little bit ashamed because we couldn't keep our, uh, we couldn't match the boasting we made. Uh, that's why it pays to follow teams that are just losers all the way around. You know, <laughs> you never have to worry about that, right? The other day, uh, Seattle was playing against, uh, uh, I can't remember who it was now. Uh, oh, it was Toronto, but they were being trounced. And I happened to see some comments from Blue Jay fans saying, I can't believe this. Seattle is beating us. This, this, this is embarrassing. They were ashamed at their team because of, of how uh, our, uh, my, the, the best team in baseball was, was uh, <laughs> uh, handling their players. Uh, I think, they, well, it doesn't matter anyway. Uh, but you, you know that, that shame, that this should not have happened. And this is what God's, enemies are put to shame you know they've boasted they've declared this is what who we are this is what we're going to do and uh, all so many passages speak to to god's enemies railing against him uh just pages and pages of scripture talk about that but they will be put to shame they will suffer ultimate defeat they will be shamed they will be turned back they will be defeated they are powerless those who have chosen to hate God, those who have chosen to be against God, will not succeed in that path. It is a path to death. And this is why it's so important for us to get out the gospel message, is because they are heading to death, and many of them don't care. Verses 6 through 7, we see that any kind of growth or any kind of success they may have is useless. They will suffer ultimate defeat. Yeah, there we go. Okay, their growth is useless. Their success is vain. Verses six and seven. It says, let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. So his prayer is that these enemies, these people who cause them affliction would be any kind of growth, any kind of success they have would be vain and useless. I had to, I had to think about this illustration he uses here, that it's like grass on the housetops. Who would grow grass on their housetop? 
And, and that's actually the point of this. <laughs> Who would do that? It's, it's useless. It does nobody any good. And all I can think about nowadays is, you know, we have something similar when your gutters get really, really dirty and clogged and things start growing in them. <laughs> like, why would you want to grow something there? It does, it, all it does means is that you have to climb up the side of your house and dig them out. <laughs> it's useless. This is not how you grow your garden. You don't plant it on the roof. It gets scorched. What little is produced is useless and worthless. It's, it's nothing. And he says, it, you know, let our enemies be like that. It may look like they're growing. It may look like they are succeeding, but they profit nothing. It is vain. It is useless. It is pointless. This describes our life when we turn from God because any growth we have or appear to have is useless. Scripture says any good thing that we have outside of Christ will not save you. It is insufficient that our righteousness is as filthy rags, that our heart is wicked and deceitful and desperately wicked. It is useless. Any good thing we have, any good thing that we might produce without God in the end benefits nothing when we consider eternity. That, again, is the important reason for Christ, that he fills, uh, he gives us that righteousness that we need, that we cannot produce on our own. Their growth is useless. Those who choose to, to fight God, those who choose to hate God, any kind of success is empty. And then we find that they will be outside of God's blessing as well. Took me a couple of readings to actually catch the first part of this, verse 8. I kept coming to the quote, Blessing of the Lord upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. And that sounds wonderful. I, I want people to tell me that, right? That may God bless you. May you be in God's favor. And we bless you in the name of the Lord. These words of, of blessing. But the prayer here is that those who are their enemies would not hear people tell them that. So basically he's saying, no one will say, Lord bless you. <laughs> no one will say, we bless you in the name of the Lord. You are outside of God's blessing. That is, that is a very serious prayer. Uh, one I, I don't think we should use lightly, and I don't think this writer is using that lightly. But basically what he's saying is that we... Pray that they will be outside of God's blessing. That God would keep his word to us and punish the wicked. I can't imagine somebody telling me, I hope God does not bless you. <laughs> I can't imagine being on the outside of that anymore. I am so grateful that God has given me that wisdom, uh, his wisdom to see the way to heaven, the way to him is through Jesus Christ alone. And now no one can take that away. No one can take that blessing away. But to be an enemy of God is to be outside of his blessing. And that's, that's the hard truth of this, of this verse. And the writer is, is praying that God's people would be protected, that God would do what he has promised to do. But I'm grateful we can look at this in light of Jesus Christ to know that if we're examining our life here and we see 
wait a minute, I've been following this life of hatred. I've been following this life of, of ignoring God and, and running from God. I'm outside of his blessing. I'm outside of his covering. I'm outside of his righteousness. I'm in trouble. We find ourselves there, praise God, that we can think of what Christ has done for us, that he has died on the cross, that he bore that punishment, that God turned his back on his son so that he would not turn his back on us. We are God's. We belong to him. If we have chosen to love him and to follow him, yes, that path will be difficult, but the affliction will not succeed. It's, it's going to be painful. It's going to be real. We were uh, just talking the other day that uh, with someone that uh, I was reminded what my father-in-law says about growing old, that it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> uh, and I think that's a phrase I've used before. And, and it's true. But God is with you through all of that if you love him, if you follow him, if you trust him, he will not let you down. So again, which way are you going? Are you following the path of God? Are you following the path of self, of the world? There's only two ways. And God calls you and is saying, this is the way. Follow me. Let's pray.